Right. Well, thank you and good afternoon. And uh, thank you for joining us on another uh, great fireside session here at the 2021 Global Jeffries Healthcare Conference. Uh, I'm here with uh, uh, a number of members of the Schrodinger team uh, with us here, uh, who you're familiar with, CEO Rami Farid, uh, head of drug discovery R&D. I guess I got to get that title right uh, for Karen Akinsaya and also our chief financial officer, uh, Joel Leibowitz. Um, so multiple people here on from the Schrodinger team, but I would love to just start off with, with Rami. Um, you know, 2020 was an amazing, I'd say record-breaking year for Schrodinger. Um, there were a lot of different drivers and factors on that. And 2021 is also a very exciting year, not only for software, but we'll get to Karen and, and, and a lot of the momentum and pipeline. But uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people look at 2020 and say, wow, amazing, huge growth. 2021 financial guidance, a little bit different, not that type of level. And I guess I would ask, Romeo, are you, are you being conservative? What are the drivers of that type of growth versus 2020? Talk to that dynamic there as people look at the 2021 numbers versus 2020. That'd be a good place to start. A absolutely. Thanks, Mike. So, of course, it was an, an extraordinary year. We saw nearly 40% growth. Historically, the CAGR for the last seven years or so has been in 15, 16%. So it really was an exceptional year. And it's useful to uh, reflect on what the origin of that was, because I think that can help answer the question. So for a number of factors, one of them actually potentially being COVID, uh, we saw a real, and, and I think actually also the success of our internal programs and our collaborative programs, right? There was a, there was clearly a significant amount of interest in deploying the technology on, on a larger scale by pharma companies. And we saw quite a number of them doing exactly that, saying, okay, the validation is clear. It's time to scale up and start uh, really uh, using computation in a truly enabling way, not just as a sort of way of explaining things after the fact. Mm -hmm. And that's what we saw. We saw a number of our customers adopting the platform on a larger scale, that resulting growth. We saw a number of new customers. We also saw new customers on the material science side as well. Now, what happens is that there are a number of barriers associated with truly realizing the value of the technology. Some are just technical. You know, th these are, this is software that you're running on massive scale. You're running lots of calculations. You've got to get on the cloud. You've got to deploy your internal, you know, uh, compute resources. There is a, a process change. Um, the way synthesis cues are prioritized, you know, transitioning from humans sort of making those decisions solely to relying on computer models obviously takes takes time. And then the, sec the, the last thing that takes time is sort of fully realizing the value of, of deploying the technology on a large scale. And so we see this year as a year of sort of of all of that happening, right? Overcoming those those technical barriers, overcoming the cultural barriers, and 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 also actually deploying the technology on live programs and seeing the result of it. Are we actually getting to compounds better compounds? Are we getting to compounds more quickly? Uh, are, are the number of compounds we actually have to synthesize in the lab being decreased? And so we we think this is a year where that's happening. Now we're seeing some really encouraging signs of pharma companies actually this year reporting on the results of the of the sort of let's call it preliminary right mm -hmm. deployment of technology 
in, in, in public forums. And so we're really, we see that as a really important milestone, right? The companies are now willing to talk about what the impact of the technology is. These are like so, in industry conferences or, 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 or uh, uh, industry stuff that maybe Wall Street obviously couldn't be. It, it, yes, exactly. Or even internal um, symposia that we may hold, but exactly, exactly. That's, that's right. Um, the, the most recent one I'm thinking of was not, their investors were not, um, you know, it wasn't an investor. Yeah. But, but I think we'll start seeing that of course. And I think their willingness to share the results of, of deploying the technology on large scale is a very, very encouraging sign. I think we know very well from other, other examples that pharma companies are, um, you know, do, do pay attention to what other companies are doing. And so right. we're, we're encouraged by that. Well, is, 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 you know, one would think though, that as the momentum continues and, you know, yes, it takes a couple of years and a lot of change. And yeah. for some reason, maybe just a lot of those, you know, all mm -hmm. fell into 2020. Yeah. And I'd say, oh, wouldn't that be great if you had time somebody in 2021 or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> one would expect that the other pharma companies would have seen that and they would have jumped on in 2021 too. Um, so yeah. was there something specific about COVID that would have driven people to say, hey, you know, we've just got extra budget, you know, or or what? And I appreciate this is not like a 12-month no. thing. It's, yeah. you know, a long-term thing. But yeah, no, it's a really good question. That's what Wall Street's kind of like perplexed by. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what happened is this, it's sort of interesting. I think during COVID and the shutdown and, and the lack of obviously reduced access to, to labs, um, there's obviously a clear motivation to um, d d uh, rely on computation more. But the other thing that happened is, as you know, as, as I was just saying, these kinds of discussions take a long time, right? You have to be interacting with the head of research and the heads of chemistry and the modelers. And, and these aren't overnight kind of interactions. I mean, these, these, these happen over time. And of course, a lot of those discussions started in 2019. And I think you can imagine these kinds of strategic discussions about completely changing how you do drug discovery are... are facilitated by in-person interactions. Mm. And of course, we didn't have any of those for, for a while, right? Now they're just starting to come back, right? As, as I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing. So I think that's the, the sort of dynamic that's occurring, right? That, that you know, we need to get back into, into traveling and starting to have these kinds of strategic discussions for the next wave. Now, in the meantime, I think it will be benefiting a lot from what I said earlier, which is the companies that have deployed it and are using it, you know, starting to talk about the, the impact that they're having. By the way, that's also happening on the collaborative and internal programs. Those are progressing, and I think those are attracting attention as well. I think all of that will help. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a, in a second. Uh, mm -hmm. I got plenty of questions for Karen. But so from a financial perspective, for Rami or for Joel, you have guided. Second half is more of a back-end loaded a period of year-over-year -year growth. Now, that getting too specific is like 9%, X percent, and then it kind of picks up towards like 11 to 20% as you get to the second half, actually greater than that to get an average. Um, you know, is there something specific that's driving that year-over-year -year growth? You just see more people coming in in the second half of the year to sign up or to uh, re-up? Yeah. Um, and, and comment about that for both sure. software and for drug discovery. Yeah, look, a lot of this is tied to when contract, just certain contracts happen to what, what cycle they're on. And that's something that's dictated by their own budgets that started 20 years ago. Remember all, a lot of these customers have been with us for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. So that's it just the way it works out that certain accounts have renewals at certain times of the year and, and the certain size accounts and so on. And, and there happens to be a number of those that are 
coming up essentially for renewal and for those kinds of discussions in Q4. That's historically been the case actually for quite a long time for the company, that sort of seasonality that we see these larger quarters, Q1 and Q4, relative to the slower, generally slower quarters, Q2 and Q3. All right, so there, well, there's more contracts, more customers there, and you just feel like the year-over-year growth, because you have to actually re-up and renew, it's actually exactly. has to re-up. Exactly. And you just see those customers re-upping at a greater pace year-over-year exactly. year than other quarters. Exactly. Okay. And I think it also, Mike, depends. So it's also a factor of what happened last year, and we look at actually throughout the year, not just the timing of the contracts. Um, we, we have a feel for those that will re-up at say a moderate rate versus a significant rate. That's right. Uh, we, we factor uh, all of that into our forecasts as we look out for the year. And then of course, if you're measuring growth rate, comparative growth rates by quarter, that then you have to look at the base year too. Obviously we had some pretty significant uh, comparative quarters in 2020. So it's the way that the contracts fall. It's the way the uh, the way we see the rest of the year unfolding, okay. and and it's also and the growth rate is a function uh, partially of the significant uptick that we saw in multiple quarters in 2020. Do you have a comment about a drug discovery line items? Well, I know a smaller part, but just to get that out of the way, for, uh, since you're the CFO. Um, uh, you have a range, but is there a, a, any trend to that as well? Starting with both the second quarter, where you pulled forward a milestone. So I'm just looking at the second quarter of last year, and yeah. you know you did five and change. So why wouldn't that still be a good number for this year? Sure. So there really, unfortunately, there really isn't um, a trend uh, uh, for a large to a large extent because of the fact that a quarter's revenue depends pretty heavily on whether or not we hit a milestone in a particular program. So it could be several programs like it was in the fourth quarter of 2019, let's say, um, or it could be one milestone uh, in a particular, uh, in a particular uh, quarter. So um, the things that uh, what, what we've said in the full year is that revenue will be between 22 and 32 million, as you know, uh, and we reaffirm that. So, you know, that's the outlook uh, that we have. Yeah. And, um, and what we, what you're referring to is what we talked about on the call is part of our outlook for the year included, uh, an anticipated milestone of $2.2 million related to one of our collaboration programs that we had slated for the second quarter in our models and actually was accelerated. So by one quarter. And so the commentary was, well, you know, it first recognized there are no trends, Second, that what we had anticipated to happen in the 20s, in the second quarter actually was accelerated and happened sooner, happened in the first quarter. Therefore, that that 2.2 obviously won't be in the second quarter revenue. Okay. Yeah. Um, can I, one last question. Is, is drug discovery more back in loaded as well, seasonally, just from a milestone perspective? Or how do people... Well, okay, look, it's it really, it has been, if you look at the last couple of years, uh-huh. but... I don't think you can say that because we could easily have a large milestone that occurs in a first quarter, second quarter, or third quarter. It's not related to seasonality. It just, oh, it just exactly right. Look, you guys live in a tough world where it's hard to guide these things. So yeah. uh, both of us uh, are, are in, in environments where it's tough uh, to, to guesstimate it. 
And uh, although you have guidance and it's hard to give the guidance because you don't know, um, you know, that's, I just wanted to. I mean, understand. the one thing is that I would say is we feel good, you know, we obviously uh, have reaffirmed the, the full year guidance um, in the last call. And, you know, we, uh, and obviously we did try to, you know, there was a large change from our expectations in terms of timing, which is the one that I was describing the 2.2. So we did want to mention that. Yeah, the other one last thing about software revenues, last question on financial guidance, is that you in the second, third, and fourth quarters, that's when COVID began last year. So you are against tough comps, too, tougher comps. You know, is there anything to say about, about that as also just sort of an obvious reason why, you know, the year-over-year growth rate is a little bit lower is because you're against tougher comps? Well, that's certainly a factor. Um, you know, as Rami said, there was a concentration of companies in, let's say, yeah. the second through fourth quarter last year um, uh, that were really upsizing in a significant way. Um, and it kind of showed right. you what it, it showed you what we were capable of, uh, I think is the way we're looking at it because we think there we're capable of multiple cycles like that over the next several years. Uh, but not uh, but but that uh, you know we won't necessarily get that same concentration year after year. And so, um, the reason why we think we have that opportunity is because we're still we're still utilizing the software um, uh, at, at least ten times at a degree ten times higher than even our largest customers for the most part, and so mm-hmm. on our own internal programs, and we're seeing great impact there. So um, we think that's uh, that pat that uh, that companies will continue to see the benefit of large scale deployments on their programs, and then choose to upscale again that will go in a series of cycles and that we have several of those cycles ahead. Uh, but you're right. The second through fourth com- uh, quarter last year was just a particularly incredible period like that and does create tough comps. Um, that That's fair and that makes sense. So let me ask a different question too, Rami. Um, while you're very bullish about the outlook and I think you've listed a lot of data points to support that. And um, uh, you know, obviously we're very excited about, uh, where this is going. Some people like to bring up AI, which is a, a nice buzzword these days. And various companies are either getting funded along to the concept of AI. Some people actually claim they utilize AI in their drug screening. Um, there are Chinese companies that claim to be the Chinese version of Schrodinger. You know, how do you, how, how does one, you know, for the audience here, here's yeah. AI screening. Why can't you just use a computer to have learnings every time they do the experiment and memorize that? And what, what is this, con- what, is AI a process here that can be integrated? Why or why not? And what do I need to know about AI? Yeah, yeah. So let's first use the right word to describe it. So AI is machine learning. So let's just describe it so, so, right. so we're very clear. So what is machine learning? It needs two things. Machine learning needs, a, as you just said, it needs a training set. You need to train it on something. And, and this is really critical, you need a set of descriptors that can describe the property you're trying to measure. Okay, so let's first let's talk about the first thing first. So the training set. So chemical space is nearly infinite. It's around 10 to the 50 molecules. So what is the training set that you would need? What size of training set would be required to capture all of that unbelievable complexity? Well, it's enormous, really enormous. And certainly the, the, the few million compounds that we may have data for now and the few million we may have in the future, that's nothing. That's literally like a drop of water in the ocean. So this is very important. So so the second part is the descriptor. So what are the descriptors that are being used? The descriptors are information from a static structure. 
proteins and small molecules are highly dynamic. The interaction between the molecule and the protein is, in, and which in, includes water, by the way, right, is highly dynamic. And the properties that we're trying to measure are enormously complex. They have to do with how the molecules interacting with water, how the protein interacts with water, how they interact together. And that's, again, over some time scale where you're seeing a lot of motion. So that's what I mean by the descriptor. So if you're using a descriptor that isn't tied to the property, it doesn't matter how much data you have, it isn't going to be very predictive. Now, does it work? Yeah, it does work in the sense that you, it's better than random. You can generate models in, in particular in very special cases if you have a um, large enough training set and you're using descriptors that are somewhat connected to the properties, you can generate. And that, by the way, this has been the case for 30 years. People have been using what used to be called QSAR, then machine learning, now AI. It's all the same thing to, to, to some impact. But what has very clear, and, and the industry knows this very well, and so do the people who are claiming that they have, it's, it's not that reliable. There are many, many, many examples for the reasons I gave where you'll generate a model and it just isn't predictive. And what we've shown, and it's very obvious, actually, I think there's overwhelming data, that in order to really be able to do drug discovery that involves exploring new chemical space, that's what drug discovery is, you have to use first principles physics-based methods. By definition, machine learning won't work. By definition. And there's no magic to it. It doesn't matter how much hype you hear about AI. It cannot extrapolate, period. Okay. So what, the way we're using these two methods because machine learning has one advantage, which is it's really fast and it can process huge amounts of molecules. The physics-based methods are really accurate, but they're slower. So if you generate these massive um, training sets using physics-based methods, you can utilize machine learning to process very large numbers of molecules, but still have the accuracy that comes with the physics-based method because that's always the last step. The last step before you make a decision about what molecule you want to make has to be the physics-based methods. That's what's required. So I think, you know, obviously that's a little bit complicated and it requires really getting deep into the science, but I hope that sort of overview of the general, uh, people, the, the, the basic. Uh, I, I would emphasize people ask about Google AI machine learning for protein interactions. I think there's a big announcement about that. And, you know, I would, let me hear that's more protein interactions on the target side. Yeah, first of all, that's nothing to do with chemistry and nothing yes. to do with compound design. That all has to do with protein structure determination. And there, that's completely different. The, the number of different protein folds is actually much, 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 much smaller, orders and orders and orders of magnitude smaller than the size of chemical space. So that's a problem that is amenable to the kind of uh, methods that, 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 that Google is developing now. And, and we've interacted with them, actually, and, and, and spoken to them about this. These structures are still not useful for drug discovery yet, but it's a very important advance. And I think combining right. some of the work they've early. done, yeah, early. Yeah, okay. it's early days, but it's, it's, a, it's an incredible advance. Mm -hmm. And, but those structures are APO structures. That is, they don't have molecules bound to them. And you need to understand how molecules are interacting with the protein. Mm -hmm. And so that's work actually that, that, that we're doing is taking these crude, let's call them crude structures, still pretty incredible, but crude structures and refining them to high enough resolution that you can use them with these physics-based methods. So I think it's highly complementary, actually, to what we're doing. Right. I think another, uh, it's not directly, a recursion, another example of someone showing that, but that's looking at uh, cell-based approaches for targets, Again, exactly. targets. Exactly. You still need a small molecule to actually 
hit that target. They're yeah. just trying to find a different target. And you need to be in new chemical space by definition, of course. And whenever you go into new chemical space, machine learning is going to have a significant, obviously, fundamental limitation because it can't extrapolate. It only knows what you trained it on. And if you didn't train it on 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 what molecules that you're you're interested in, it cannot work. It's sort of like saying a, 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 an AI that detects cats somehow knows about dogs. It doesn't. It doesn't know anything mm. about dogs. It only knows about cats. Yeah. How uh, if these companies claim to be able to apply some of the same principles to that learning, but what you're saying is you can't do that. You need the training sets, and the training sets have to be genuine. Exactly. Um, and the only way they can be that big is using actually physics-based methods where you can generate hundreds of years worth of data in a day. Uh, and uh, that's the exciting, in, uh, I think, integration of these two powerful methods. Yeah. Two other approaches, uh, and I don't mean to be as competitive, but I want to close this loop before we move to the drug discovery is uh, in Citro, which was another one that made a big splash recently. Um, not so much details on here, but again, using the idea of machine learning uh, for drug discovery, claiming they're going to transform that in crystal pie, probably another one. Maybe just yeah, make a comment on those. Yeah, Karen can comment on, on in Citro. Um, maybe, maybe we should start there, Karen, do you want, cause I think you, yeah. and crystal pie. Yeah. Yeah. We, I can comment on that. Uh, recursion and in situ, I'd say are using machine learning to help us better understand biology, Exactly. Um, which is a big piece of this equation is which target should we work on and how are they linked to disease? And I think they're pretty interesting. Actually, it's very different to what Rami has been describing on the chemistry side. Yeah. And, and crystal pie. say not the target, not the uh, chemistry screen. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and crystal pie. That's the the company that's based in China that that you mentioned earlier on. Um, you know, they're beginning to develop these physics based methods as well. Um, we haven't seen any data that suggests that they have the level of accuracy or throughput that we have, but they're they're working on it and. And you know we, we keep an eye, but so far we haven't seen any evidence that suggests that they've they've achieved the level of accuracy that we have. Uh, uh, certainly earlier, and certainly uh, no major collaborations or, or contracts yet. To be early, much earlier. Much earlier. That's right. Um, that, that's a perfect uh, transition to Karen. So, Karen, um, where you are obviously accelerating too is in the drug discovery part. I think you've yet to use the term acceleration in terms of being able to apply your learnings perhaps more efficiently than everybody and really accelerate the idea of an IND now here in a very short time frame. Talk to us about um, where you are with your portfolio, maybe focus on the, the top two or three, mm -hmm. and when we could get an IND and how that, how that process is going through. Yeah, so Mike, as you know, we've uh, presented data now on three of our, well, two, I guess, publicly of our advanced molecules, uh, MOLT1 and CDC7, are presented at ASH and AACR. And as we have described and right on track, we are moving those programs forward. Uh, we expect to be in the clinic next year, and if we backtrack from there, GLP talks beginning for those programs this year. Uh, filing the INDs uh, early on next year and expecting to be uh, dosing our first patients in 2022. So those two programs are going right on track. The pharmacology packages look great, non-GLP yeah. talks. And uh, yeah, so moving on quite nicely and according to schedule. The third program uh, is also moving along well, and uh, we may be able to push that forward this year to GLP, but that one, I think, We'll see whether we make it this year or early on next year. 
Now, one of the uh, 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 big announcements last year was this deal with Bristol, both on a, one of your targets or two of your targets, but uh, one of your programs, as well as novel targets. And that was a big splash. Um, maybe just comment, is, is that sort of a testament to them? Because they're an existing customer. Do they want to use more of the software? And they're saying, hey, we want your help learning about how you apply to these targets specifically. And we want one of your targets. And would you do it? Would you do another deal? Yeah, it's a great question. So as Rami may have said in the past, BMS actually were an early adopter, one of our largest customers on the software side. Uh, we had a really great meeting of the minds with the therapeutic areas in parallel with their decision to scale up on the software. And it so happened that our targets that we'd been working up as drug discovery programs, several of them caught their attention. And so they decided to jump on board, yes, to accelerate those particular targets in oncology, immunology, and neuro. But I think also, and that's how it's sort of playing out, to see how we do this. How do we run these programs, the multi-parameter optimization, uh, using our technology at full scale? And so that's in progress right now, as you can imagine, the deal was signed in November. We're fully yeah. functional on all five programs with them right now. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think it's a, an incredible validation. I'd love to see more of those, but it really sorts of sort of speaks to uh, folks wanting to get a better understanding, a better learning uh, to it, and, and working closer with you. So that's exactly uh, right, Mike. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a perfect example. So we'd love to see more of those. Maybe Rami, you could tease me on maybe some more of are those going to happen this year, next year. We continue to have uh, quite robust conversations with uh, quite high-level people in, in these companies. There, there's definitely a lot of interest in 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 these kinds of arrangements, uh, for sure. Okay, good. Yep. Well, thank you guys very much. Certainly a busy year ahead, and looking forward to continued execution and obviously uh, clinical development too next year, Karen. So you're going to be in the big spotlight too, and talking about studies. And, and so thank you guys together. Appreciate it, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, it'll be an exciting year. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Bye.